Well, good morning again as we now turn to Romans. It's a letter that Paul wrote to Christians in Rome. It's uh, about halfway in the New Testament. Uh, It's a fairly long book, about 16 uh, chapters, and we're in the 12th. And so it's two-thirds through the letter that I'm going to read from. We began this study last week on chapter 12, and so we're taking up the second part uh, this morning. And so I'm going to read from verse 12. You can, if you want to, you can pull out a Bible that's in the pew in front of you and follow along on page 1,206. You can follow along on the screens, or maybe you're already there on your digital device. So let me read. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the reading of God's word, and and may he uh, bless it. The key verse is the, that sets the context is in verse 12, where he he exhorts us or, or challenges us to rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And that verse gives us the context of who Paul is writing to, to Christians who are being persecuted in a broken and hurting world. That is, as Paul writes this very letter, this small band of churches in Rome, no more than a hundred, gather to hear this letter written in somebody's home who are being persecuted because they are simply Christian. And he's encouraging them. That's the context. And historically, they and us have had three options laid open to us as we endure uh, struggle in this life, particularly at the hands of the greater society around us as we're being uh, judged or uh, in some way made difficult uh, to live uh, out our faith. We can obviously uh, flee, and many have, created a safe place, uh, a, 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 a cul-de-sac or a fortress mentality that keeps the world out. That's obviously one option open to Christians, and at different times, Christians have done this. Uh, Secondly, we could fight. Us versus them, winners, losers. We are going to win this cultural war together. And the church at different times has done that. Paul is advocating for a third option, and it's not a balance between fleeing and fighting. It's an engaging 
engagement of the culture around us. Be a ministering community. The church, a place of healing for a broken and battered world. He calls this idea a community that is shaped by the gospel. The old term was the cruciform community, and that simply means a community that is shaped by the gospel. That's what Paul means in back in the start of our chapter in verse 1. We read last week, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, or in case, sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The therefore that we used, if you'll go to the the next slide, was this idea of an illustration that helps us understand what Paul's communicating in this letter, this idea of uh, uh, the gospel is this from chapter 25. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. I partial hardening has come upon Israel until when? Until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in and all of Israel will be saved. That is Paul's argument. Can you go to the next one? Or am I stuck? There you go. Perfect. I think this illustration is helpful to understand Paul's writings. That is, Paul's trying to communicate three things in Romans. He's trying to communicate what is the gospel. And Paul said in in verse 25 of the last chapter, it is the saving of all Israel. And Paul means, when he means all Israel, Jews and Gentiles together, that's the whole uh, uh, weight of his argument is that we think it's God uh, saving Jews. And, and, and though it is saving Jews, it's, it's all the nations. And that's been promised from the very beginning of time. And the way he puts it in Colossians uh, chapter one, when he talks about uh, what is the gospel, he says it is God transferring his people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, where there is redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's a one way to understand the gospel. That's good news. But the natural implication, the natural idea behind that is that we want to ask is, well, how's that accomplished? And sometimes we confuse how it's accomplished with the good news that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun or that we've been saved. That's the good news. But how it's accomplished, we said last week, is this idea that on the cross, Jesus did something for us. At the beginning in Romans chapter one, he said it this way. I can't wait to get to Romans because I'm going to I'm going to preach the gospel to you because he says, for this gospel, I'm not ashamed for it is the power of God for salvation to the Jew and also to the Greek. And then he explains the gospel this way for in it, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is being revealed from faith to faith, first to last. What what he's communicating is what we said last week is, is that the way that we're transferred is that Christ on the cross accomplished our salvation. He paid the debt of sin, and therefore he set us free into this new kingdom of the Son where there's redemption and forgiveness. And we said that last week in this illustration, if that's how he accomplished it, it's got implications for how we live. And the way that Paul deals with that is he begins to say, I want you to present your bodies, plural, all you Christians, I want you to apply it as a single offering to God. That's why he uses the singular there. He uses the plural bodies, but the singular sacrifice. And he says, your life together as a local church matters. 
and I'm going to give you implication, Paul, I'm going to give you implications of what that looks like, what the cruciform community looks like, a, a community that is shaped by the gospel. And we looked at that last week when we said we, ca- we took all of these implications and we put them in three categories. We borrowed from Jonathan Edwards as he created these three categories around your head, your heart, and your hands to get at the whole uh, a body of Christ, the whole local church, that, that the gospel affects what, the way in which you think. The gospel affects the way in which you believe, and it affects the way in which you live and the w- way we are. And so this week, what I want to do is I want to give you two more. Paul, before he leaves this chapter, he's got way more implications. Chapter 13, toward the government. Uh, Chapter 14, the way we live inside the church. Uh, Chapter 15, the way we uh, live outside the church. He's got all these implications, but he's going to give us two more implications of the gospel. One has to deal with our money, our possessions, our time. He calls that generosity. And the other one, he's going to deal with peace. What is shalom? What is radical peace? And so let's look at those in the time that we have before we come to the Lord's Supper. The ancient culture of the Romans were known for this, that they were promiscuous with their bodies, but they were stingy with their money. That is, the height of the Roman Empire was wealth. And if you are wealthy, you must be blessed by God. If you're poor, you must be cursed by God. And therefore, you don't give it away because if you give it away, you're giving away your position in the culture. And so they were very stingy with their money. Well, here comes the church who was primarily poor people, not the wealthy. They were wealthy people, but they were the minority in the church. And as they came to Christ, they were known as promiscuous with their purse, their money, and stingy with their bodies, that is, towards sexual immorality. That's how they became known. And because of this upside-down view, they stood out in the culture. Can you imagine? You're the only ones who are not sleeping around. You kind of stand out. And then on top of it, you're poor, but you're giving all your money away to make sure that nobody inside the church and outside the church have need. You stand out. So much so that Julian, now Julian was the last pagan emperor of Rome, about 360s AD. Christians called him Julian the apostate. Now he didn't walk around the playground calling himself the apostate. That's not a real positive term. But he's called that because he called himself a pagan. And he, and he meant that as a compliment. And this is what he said about Christians. is recorded uh, 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 for us in his own writings as the emperor. He's, he's upset that Christianity has been accepted by around 313. Uh, Christianity was accepted. It wasn't everywhere, but it was already gaining an acceptance. And it was already infringing upon the national religion of the Roman Empire, paganism. And so he was calling for a revival of paganism by AD 364. And so he writes this, these impious Galileans. Now that's what Christians were called in the fourth century 
in Rome. They weren't called Christians. They weren't necessarily uh, called the way. That's, that's more in the Middle East. In Rome, they call them Galileans because Jesus ministered in Galilee. And so he says, these impious Galileans, they support not only their poor, but ours as well. And everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. You hear what he's saying? He says, these Christians, these, these folks who follow Jesus, not only are they taking care of our, our poor, but they're exposing that we're not doing it. We got to do something about these people. So let's get a revival of paganism and all the pagan practices. And at the center of that is that Caesar is God, not Jesus. One of the things that happened is within the fourth century, the same time that this guy is writing, Christianity has taken over the Roman Empire. Because they brought healing to their society, because they brought the implication of the gospel into the Roman society, Rome turned to Christ. As a result, paganism died out in the Roman Empire in the fourth century. So in, in, in a little over 300 years, Christianity goes from this backwaters Middle Eastern religion into the religion of the Roman Empire. And the explanation for that is that they lived out the implications of the gospel and the Holy Spirit through that gospel brought people to faith. One of the forms of generosity, according to Paul here, is hospitality. That is, it wasn't just taking care of people inside the church. It was also taking care of people outside the church. And that's what's at core of this word hospitality. It literally means to pursue kindness to strangers. This means not only to show kindness inside the church with people that you already know and already love, but also to people you don't know and you don't love. And one way people know that they matter is when we're hospitable toward them. You and I are surrounded here in Annapolis by battered, broken, and bruised people. They're battered and broken and bruised by life. It's hard. We know even as we talked about tonight, I mean, today, people die, and there's nothing we can do about it. We have a 100% mortality rate. Nobody escapes this planet without dying. And there's disease. And we saw, if, you, if you've watched any television or picked up a newspaper this morning, there was two mass shootings. One of the things that every human being on this planet needs is a prolonged intensive care of what the church can bring. Paul says, that's the job of the local church. We are the intensive care unit of this world. Let me give you an example of that. In, in the Roman Empire, there were two incredible epidemics. One was around 165 AD, and it was a smallpox epidemic. It wiped out a third of the Roman Empire. Then a century later, around 251 measles wiped out about a quarter of the Roman Empire. A hundred years later, many fled Rome. Those that had money, they got out of town. The problem is, what do you do with Aunt Sally? What do you do with Uncle Joe? They got the measles or they've got smallpox. We can't take them with us because they'll bring it with them. So we got to leave them to die. That's what people were doing all over the city, except for Christians. You know, the Christians didn't leave Rome. 
really for two reasons. One's a very practical reason, one's a ministry reason. The practical reason, and I think they're connected, the practical reason is that most Christians were poor and they could not flee. They didn't have the money, they didn't have the land, they didn't know somebody to go live with, and so they stayed. And when they stayed, they had to make a decision. Are we going to cordon ourselves off? Are we going to protect ourselves? Are we going to have our own health enclave and keep everybody out? No, that's not what they decided to do. They didn't fight them and say, hey, the reason you're sick is because God's judging you. They engaged the culture because it was the implication and they stayed and they took care of the sick and the dying. They became the intensive care, literally. This is what Dionysus of Alexandria said. We know this because it's recorded in his writing. And I, 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 I got it out of a, a book called The Rise of Christianity written by Rodney Stark, who's a Christian historian. And he's answering this single question. Why did Christianity move from a backwaters religion into the religion of the Roman Empire in such a short time, in, in about four centuries? And you say, that's a long time. It's not a long time in history. Why in that short amount of time does Christianity move from a small sect of people into the religion of the Roman Empire? And this is what Dionysus says. He said, heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life extremely happy. For they were infected by others who had the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting the pain. Many nursing and caring for others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. You hear what he's saying? It's amazing that the Christians couldn't leave. And so they decided to take care of the dying and and the dead who were left behind. They went in and knocked on the door and and said, hey, we're here to take care of you. And they took care of them, even though they were exposing themselves to measles and smallpox, and they too were getting sick and ultimately dying. Who is the best people on the face of the planet to take care of the sick and the dying? People who already know that the best day of their life is the day they die. The people who are at best at taking care of the sick and the dying are the ones who know that the day they die, they go be with the Lord. And they await the resurrection. If there's no hope of a resurrection, then this is all that there is. So eat and drink and be merry before there is no tomorrow. But Christians know there is a tomorrow and there's a tomorrow's tomorrow, an ultimate tomorrow where all things are made new. And so we can enter in. I love the, the story of Jonathan Edwards' daughter when, when David Brainerd, the, the father of American missions, got tuberculosis. The eldest daughter of Jonathan Edwards took care of him until he died. Do you know what the cost was to this beautiful girl? She got tuberculosis and died. She took care of the father of the American mission. He was only about 26 himself, 28 himself. Because she knew she can afford to lose her life in this world because she had her life forever in Christ. That's why Rodney Stark asked the question, why did Christianity in a few centuries go from a small sect to taking over the Roman Empire? He answers it and he says, because they showed hospitality in the midst of the epidemics. Is just an implication of the gospel. So that people would ask, why are you exposing yourself to measles and smallpox? 
Why are you willing to die to take care of me? And then they can share what Jesus has done. He's made it possible for God to transfer us from the the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son where there's redemption and the forgiveness of sins. What led the early church to these kinds of practices? Let me just give you one example for generosity. It's from 2 Corinthians. Paul's writing to uh, the church in Corinth about raising money for the poor and the starving, the people who were in the middle of a famine. He said, for they gave according to their means. He's talking about the Corinthian Christians, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the, by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. What's the act of grace? This idea of giving. But as you excel in everything, see that you excel in the act of grace also. Here's the basis. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Do you hear what he's saying? He says, we have the basis of being generous because we already have the richest being in the cosmos become poor for us in that in our poverty, we become rich. What God has done for them moved them. They were compelled. They were willing to be, to spin and be spent for Christ. And if we want to see that in our church, if we want to grow in radical generosity, if we want to practice hospitality, if we want to get involved in the healing of people, places, and things here in our city, it is first required that we are moved by the gospel because nothing else will last. Oh yeah, for a time, we can dedicate ourselves, but that'll get tiring. And when the very people we're trying to help hurt us, we might give up, which brings us to radical peace. If the first one is radical generosity, we also have radical peace. If we, if we practice generosity and hospitality like this, I can guarantee you people will seek to hurt us. That's why Paul says, bless those in verse 14 who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. He says in verse 17, repay no one for uh, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The word he's using here is shalom. Will their wholeness, they're broken and battered and bruised. And our desire is that everyone receive peace. The way Isaiah says it's a wolf laying down with a lamb or a child at play at the hole of the cobra. We're trying to seek that our enemies become not our friends, but our family. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. There's no room left for a Christian for resentment and bitterness and vengeance. Where do we get the power to live that way? We have to go back and see it's rooted in the gospel. Christ died for his enemies, not his friends. He died for his enemies so that his enemies would not become his friends, but would become his family. To reconcile us to God, he did 
not wait for us to be nice enough or good enough or helpful enough. Only the gospel can make us a community defined by radical generosity. Only the gospel can make us into a community defined by radical peace. Seeking the healing of Annapolis, seeking the healing of things and places and people. And so Paul's encouraging us not to shrink back. That's, that's the temptation. Protect thyself. Paul's begging us to enter in because the gospel compels us to do so because that's what our Savior did. He left the throne of grace to come here to die for us, to make us his family. May God do that for those in this room who don't know Jesus and for those of us who do know Jesus. That is our medicine for the world. Not to be like us but to be saved by our Savior.